Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from Great Book Reviews. How are you all? I am well, and yet I have another embarrassing moment to share. So that's very nice. Right, so in the mornings, I'm normally first up and I will gather things that the family have left lying around, stuff in my pockets, particularly if I've got lots of things to carry downstairs as well, and get down. And if there's anything to put in the laundry, put them in the laundry, what bins, whatever, fine. And this morning I got up and all seemed well. There were some bits of underwear uh, that needed to go in the laundry. Sorry, so this is too much information, I should just warn you. The, the, the worst word I'm going to use actually is underwear, so I think we're okay. Um, so I put them in my back pocket, um, went downstairs, I was carrying lots of stuff as well, got downstairs, was putting stuff away. Oh, anyway, busy with jobs. Um, and then I had to get the dog walked, I had to get the dog walked into quickly to get back in time to get on with everything else. Fine. Um, it was quite early in the morning and I was surprised by the number of people that were shouting hello to me from a safe distance. Thank you very much. Waving. Um, that, yeah, this I seem to be getting quite a bit of attention. Not sure what was going on. And about two miles into the walk, I thought, oh, um, my nose is running. It's very cold. I'll get the tissue out of the back uh, back jeans pocket. This is fascinating, isn't it, really? But anyway, so I go to get the tissue out. Yeah, I, I had a pair of pants hanging out the back of my, of my jeans uh, for the world to see. And uh, I'm not going to say which member of the family they belong to. And we won't make any comments about the the quality of uh, washing required of those pants. But yeah, that was great. I'm really, really thrilled. Honestly, every week I think I'm not going to have anything humorous to talk about. And maybe I should see that it would be a good thing not to have anything to talk about. But, you know, every time I surprise myself with what embarrassing things happen to me. So there we go. That's what's happening with with me. Um, I do hope you're OK and keeping safe and well and sane in this in these crazy times. But forget the crazy times for half an hour. We've got some fab books to talk to you about. We've got a brilliant author interview and I've got a listener's question. Oh, fancy that. So let's tell you about the books. Um, then we're going to have the listener's question. Then we're going to talk about the first book, chat with the author, and then look at the other books as well. And then that, that will be us done and you can go on your merry way if that's OK with you. So the books we're dealing with this week are Out for Blood by Deborah Masson, The Salt Path by Raina Wynne, Cut Short by M.W. Craven, Truth Be Told by Kia Abdullah and 
prepare yourselves for this title. <clears throat> 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do by Amy. Oh, now I've forgotten her surname. That's terrible of me. See, I've written it all out here. So I'm so mentally not strong that I haven't written properly and now I'm getting all these pieces of paper. Amy Morin. There we go. I'd written Amy Moore and then stopped. Amy Morin. There we go. Should I start that bit again? 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do by Amy Morin. I think I've just completely embarrassed myself even more now by that. But there we go. We got there in the end. So the question is from Joe. And Joe's question is this. Which book have you had on your reading pile for a long time but really want to read? Oh, Joe, I have hundreds of books on my reading pile that I really want to read. Um, but I was very intrigued by your question and I went to have a look through the bookshelves at books that I've had for some time and I'm just as keen to read them now as the day I got them, if that makes sense. Um, and I did try and keep it to one book, but I couldn't manage it. So I've got three and I hope that's OK. So the first one is called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. Um, and this, I believe it's YA, it's paperback. Um, in New York City at 3 a.m., April May stumbles across a giant sculpture, like a 10-foot tall transformer wearing a suit of samurai armour. Together with her best friend Andy, she names it Carl and films a quick video for YouTube. The next day, April wakes up to a viral sensation and a new life. The Carls have appeared in dozens of cities around the world and April seizes the opportunity to become their international spokesperson. She gains an army of followers, but is being famous really worth putting her relationships, her safety and even her own identity at risk? Now, all eyes are on April to figure out not just what the Carls are, but what they want from us before it's too late. Um... So people are saying it's a beautiful exploration of what humans can accomplish. Uh, clever, resonating and funny. Get ready to be absorbed in the story. Um, I, yeah, I've heard really good things about this and, and I wanted to read it. So that's an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. Now, the next one, I said there were three. The next one is called The Farm by Joanne Ramos. And let me read you the blurb on this one, because this sounds really interesting as well. Ambitious businesswoman May Yu runs Golden Oaks, a luxury retreat transforming the fertility industry. There, women get the very best of everything, organic meals, fitness trainers, daily massages and big money, provided they dedicate themselves to producing the perfect baby for someone else. Jane is a young immigrant in search of a better future. Living in a cramped dorm with her baby daughter and her shrewd aunt Attie, she sees an unmissable chance to change her life. But at what cost? The farm is an unforgettable story about how we live and who truly, truly holds power. So that's a sort of dystopian and an adult book, not YA. Uh, and I was just fascinated, fascinated by that concept, wanted to read it to find out what was involved and how it ends. Um, and I haven't got round to it. So I, I need to do that forthwith. In fact, I should just stop making these podcasts and read books. No, I love talking to you. So I'm going to carry on. I'm ever so sorry. The final book that I've pulled out is by Tana French and it's called The Witch Elm. 
One night changes everything for Toby. He's always led a charmed life until a brutal attack leaves him damaged and traumatised, unsure even of the person he used to be. He seeks refuge at his family's ancestral home, the Ivy House, filled with memories of wild strawberry summers and teenage parties with his cousins. But not long after Toby's arrival, a discovery is made, a skull tucked neatly inside the old witch elm in the garden. As detectives begin to close in, Toby is forced to examine everything he thought he knew about his family, his past and himself. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Quite a long book. It's, I think it's nearly, yes, it's 500 pages. But I really want to read that one. I think I'm going to be a bit scared from that one. I don't know. So my question to you is, have you read any of those books? And if so, I would love to know what you think, what you thought about them, which one I should read first. If there are any of those three that you think I should just not read for now that there are other books be getting on with. But please let me know. So thanks, Joe. That was a really interesting question and uh, got me looking at my bookshelves again and looking at all the books that I want to be reading. Surprise, surprise. Um, oh, and the news is I have another new bookshelf, which is very exciting. And some of those shelves are currently empty. How long do we think that will last for? I don't think it's going to last very long. Anyway, on to the books. So the first book to talk to you about today is Out for Blood by Deborah Masson. Now, let me get the blurb of this glorious book. So um, before I read the blurb, I should say this is a crime book. It's uh, the second one in the series. Um, it's published the 10th of December in paperback. It was um, published in ebook uh, in November. Um, and the principal character is this uh, D.I., D.I. Eve Hunter, who I really like. She's a really strong character. Anyway, here's the blurb. A young man, the son of an influential businessman, is discovered dead in his central Aberdeen apartment. Hours later, a teenage girl with no identification is found hanged in a suspected suicide. As D.I. Eve Hunter and her team investigate the two cases, they find themselves in a tug of war between privilege and poverty, between the elite and those on the fringes of society. Then an unexpected breakthrough leads them to the shocking conclusion that those in power have been at the top for too long and now someone is going to desperate lengths to bring them down. Can they stop someone who is dead set on revenge? no matter the cost. It's, uh, sorry, moving pieces of paper everywhere. It's fair to say I love this book. And I've been thinking about how actually there are so many different crime books and crime series available um, that I think crime readers can be quite choosy and quite fussy about which books and particularly which series they, they support. Um, and f so to have um, a new author or an author that is new to me come in um, does mean that or in a way they have to work even harder for me to think, yeah, that's a good book and, and that's an author I'm going to follow. Um, but I have to say that, that this is absolutely one. And De Deborah Masson is an author I want to follow. Uh, brilliant books from the sort of first page first chapter you're in you're comfortable you know what's going on the characters are very clear 
um, very well written. Um, you can, you know, it's visual. You can see the scene as it's happening. It's compelling. It draws you in. You want to know more. There are the, the, the usual twists and turns, the clues revealed, the big hurrah at the end. Um, it's a, a really good book. This is an author who knows her stuff. And she clearly has read a lot of crime as well, um, which I think just shows through. She, she's been able to read the, the, sort of the pick of the bunch as well. And that's helped her create this wonderful, wonderful character and build a story around it. And... Um, yeah, I I haven't read her first one and I wish that I had. But, you know, I was just um, yesterday having a look at my downstairs bookshelves. So <laughs> bookshelves upstairs and downstairs. I was just thinking, I do hope the floor is strong enough for all these book sh bookshelves upstairs. Anyway, the downstairs bookshelves and realised I've got her first book sitting there unread. So I it, think it'd be quite interesting. OK, yes, I know so, some of the things that would happen in that book now. Uh, I've read the second one, but I am still so sort of committed to her as an author and her characters that I would go back and, and read that first one. And I definitely want to read her next one. Um, uh, just really, really good. And nice to have another author come in, but one that we know delivers. Um, so that the book is called Out for Blood. Um, and it's written by Deborah Masson. But enough of me twaddling on. Let's talk to Deborah herself. So, Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me along. It's great to be here. Well, it's just good to talk to you. I mean, well, let's talk about your first novel first. I, I, I know we're going to be uh, talking about Out for Blood primarily, but your first book was called Hold Your Tongue. Um, now, do you do people listening to this need to start with that book, first of all, or are you um, able to give them all the information they need if they just go straight into Out for Blood? I think Out for Blood works well as a standalone. So I think it could definitely be read as a standalone. Mm. But there is a good bit of background to um, my main character, D.I. Eve Hunter, in the first book that um, it would probably lend itself a little bit better to read that one first just to have the full background before you jump into the second one okay so it it doesn't matter if you if you can just get yeah. your hands on out for blood go for it oh Equally, definitely if you want to to start at the beginning you've only got one it's not like you've got a series of 20 books to go through. no no I'll read very well on its own or not yet we don't oh, have yeah, 20 yes. not yet yeah <laughs> that's so, a dream <laughs> I think it's gonna be the reality it's great so um let's talk about the main character D.I. Eve Hunter, a, a strong woman. I really liked her. Where did the idea come from for her? Well, believe it or not, um, D.I. Eve Hunter actually started off as a man. Oh. So, yeah. Um, I wrote um, D.I. Eve Hunter as a male character called Danny Portman for a start. Um, and I went with that and it went out to agents as a male character. And it wasn't until I was actually offered representation that I decided, do you know something? I would like to actually be writing a really strong female lead mm. as a female. Mm. Um, and I just wanted someone who was a little bit kick-ass, who, you know, mm. came to the to the page with baggage, mm. but um was determined and very conscientious and she was just kind of born from there and then I had to go through the the real joy of editing he to she and changing the entire novel oh, no. which you know but it was a much better story for it so I'm glad that I did do it and uh, I love Eve so I'm, I'm very grateful she's now a, a female 
Yes, really gutsy woman. It's great. So In Out for Blood, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Uh, what I loved about it is that you draw the reader in straight away. From the first page, I I was in and I was convinced and, and I wanted to know more. Did you see those key opening scenes in your mind as you were coming to write it? Um, yeah, I was really aware that I wanted... Um... I wanted the body to be found. I think in any crime novel, I think it definitely follows a pattern. You know, you've always got the the body found at mm. the start and then you hit the ground running, you know. And I think you just, the more you hit with a bang and get the reader hooked and that hook's there, they want to follow the investigation and find out what it is. And it's just, just about... I think, yeah, from the very start, I wanted it to, to have that punch to hook the reader um, and then go forward from there. And I was very aware of two cases that I wanted to run alongside each other. So I was keen mm. to get both both kind of cases in very, very early to show what even the team were going to be dealing with from there. And and it wasn't just the sort of the crime that you that you come across initially. It's it's the characters that are so sort of believable. As I say, from page one, it it, it was super. But the, the other thing you're really good at is just giving us pieces of clues and information as you go along through the book. So, you know, as a reader, you feel like you're in safe hands. It, um, you're not going to be disappointed with the pace and, and the conclusion. What, how do you do it to keep the reader uh, engaged to that extent? Because you manage it very well. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I think I was very aware as a crime reader myself that um, crime readers are a very clever crew. <laughs> you know, they they sign up for what they know a crime novel to be um, and they're not silly. They know their stuff. So it, really, it's about starting it off. I admit to being a pantser, you know. Ah, interesting. Yep. Okay. So definitely interesting, because when you're writing crime, you need to have your red headings. You need to have, you know, your, your yes. plot points and everything. Um, I very much start off the book having a beginning and an end. And I like the rest of the book to tell itself to me as I write. I think if I was to plan it too much, then I would feel that the story had been told before I actually wrote it. It can prove difficult. Sometimes I have ideas as I'm writing and I plant them as I go along. Um, sometimes you get towards the end and you think, actually, this would work really well if I went back and I changed this and put this mm -hmm. in and a bit of foreshadowing here. So really I'd love to say I was this wonderful planner who puts all these things in but I surprise myself sometimes Philippa if I'm going to be honest <laughs> well that's so. the characters coming to life yes no, yes talking to me good. from the page yes no that's <laughs> diligent writing that that is so it, I'm interested in this sort of starting with the beginning and the end um presumably that's that's for the crime but is it is it also for some of the characters that yeah how they I, start the book and how they end it yeah, definitely in the first book, I, I knew with the Eye Hunter, I wanted to to bring her to the page um, with quite a lot of angst, um, quite a lot of kickback from our colleagues. Um, nerves on coming back to work, really, um, but not one to show them, of course. Um, so really, yeah, I look at having a character arc for each character within the book, whether mm. the, the more minor characters aren't so obvious, they're still some kind of development with all the characters throughout the novel um but certainly in the first one i would say that um there was a huge character art for the main character um 
yeah, I think the second one, I was shown more of um, D.S. Cooper's home life. Mm. So it was really trying to explore the team as a whole, you know. So I was keen to to show to shed the light on another character in the second book a little bit more, their home life, and so that the readers get a better idea of of the team as a whole. Yes, but is Eve with you um, even when you're not writing? Because she is such a gutsy girl. Is she, do you hear her in your in your mind when you're dealing with other? Situations. I know some crime writers have that, that their characters are always with them. Uh, and other, other writers, it's not that. It's just when you're sitting down and writing. It's funny you should say that, because I've definitely, since I created D.I. Eve Hunter, realised that I'm stronger than I thought. And a lot of times when I'm actually writing and I think, you know, when there's when there's circumstances in life and that that scare you a little or you're a bit nervous of, I think, well, what would Eve Hunter do? You know, yeah. the, the character that I'm writing, yeah. this bullshit character that I can write that I'm not necessarily in real life. If I was just to be her and go inside her skin for a day, what would she do? And it does. It can bolster you sometimes because you think, well, I can write that character. So to a certain extent, you can put a wee act on and become that person in certain situations just to get through them. You know? Yes. Uh, that's very interesting. So book one and book two, did they both take the same time to write or... Definitely not. Book one, <laughs> book one was done for pleasure. Yeah. Um, and it was done actually um, with online courses. So started oh. off with a professional writing academy course, which was a six week introduction to crime writing, which I loved. And then that led on to a Faber online course. Um, and that was write the first 15,000 words of your novel which I did. And then I was really keen to see if I could get it to a, to a, a whole draft, a first draft. So I continued with another one called Work in Progress and had a first draft by the end of that. But all in all, following that courses, um, I also had a relationship breakdown, um, moved to another town with my two children. My mum was diagnosed terminal. It really oh, was quite God. a difficult time. Yeah. But to be fair to Philippa, it was the writing that kept me going. Mm. Um, if it wasn't for my tutor Tom Bromley who was just the best pushing me and saying look you need to finish this book you know it mm. kept me sane there was mm. really some quite dark times going on in my life um, and the writing and the escapism of that yeah and also my children you know yeah. were the things that kept me going and I'm so glad that Tom pushed me because you know it ended up being hold your tongue but as I say, it was a long process through a lot of um, heartbreak and courses and things and determination in the end. So the first one took, oh my goodness, it must be the guts of like three years. Wow, yeah. It really was. It was a long time. Um, the second one, mum was really quite ill by then. Um, mm. And obviously I was working to a deadline, but I was also caring for mum at home latterly. So um, my brother and I was doing shifts trying to care for mum when I was trying to finish the second book. And obviously my agent and the publisher were so understanding, you know, they, they gave me a, an extension. Um, but all in all, your head being in the right head space, you know, a head space to write. Yeah. Um, all in all, it, it felt like a bit of a rush job and I had concerns, but I did it within about eight months, which compared to the three years was a miracle, you know. <laughs> But I actually ended up being really happy with the book um, and realised I can write a lot faster than I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think I write on the dark side because it's it's probably me 
without sounding very cliche and all philosophical and deep, I think it's probably me dealing with a lot of things that's going on in my life. Yeah. So I'm probably writing on the dark side just to get rid of all of that. And mm. I'm quite a light, cheery, optimistic <laughs> person in real life. I think it's that, you know, it's just yeah. it's just having that to escape into where you're just somewhere else and you can really get your your angst onto the onto the paper. You know, it, it helps you deal with things sometimes, I think. But that's so interesting that it was in a way an escape for you as you were writing and, oh, yeah. and with all that you were going through. But it's also it is an escape for readers um, to yeah. you know to get into your book and and just take a bit of time out from the world. So I think that's that's really quite symbolic that it's an escape for sort of both parties in that the author and the reader as well. Totally, and I've I've always thought I mean as a crime fiction reader for years myself. Um, I've always thought it's a great way to explore the darkness of life and to go inside other people's minds, people that would scare the hell out of you in real life, you know, and that, and to see how they tick, but to do it from the safety of your sofa, yes. you know, do it through the safety of fiction, you know, I think, I think it's why it's so popular sometimes, it's, it's dealing with and finding out about things that would scare you in real life, but with safety, you know. And do you get your ideas from the news or just, you know, seeing somebody and they say something that just sparks a thought process that goes down a, a dark alley? Yeah, I think I think the first one um, was kind of a lot more engineered, I guess. I think with the, the introduction to um, crime fiction, we were actually asked to create a detective, a murder scene, to write a breakfast scene with that detective, and then to eventually show an interview between the detective and a murderer. So that kind of brought things to me, and I find myself enjoying reading, at the time, serial killer thrillers. Mm. So I kind of, I went down the line of wanting to basically write what I read, you know. Mm. I thought, well, I want to write a book I would want to read. So that, at the time, was a serial killer thing that I was I was um, enjoying reading. And that's where that was born. But the second one was more kind of um, current, I guess, as in I, I actually watched an interview um, about human trafficking and prostitution, and it really stuck with me hmm. and it actually led me on to research in local cases in Aberdeen and you always think oh those things don't happen where I stay mm. you know they, they don't Ooh. um but I uncovered quite a lot in Aberdeen that I was unaware of um and found it really fascinating that what's going on in your doorstep you know um and I guess I felt that these these girls who are involved in this human trafficking and you know this prostitution they don't have a voice Mm. And I was I was very keen to tell a story from from the point of view of someone who is thrust into that life and who can't escape it, but to tell it with a bit of sensitivity and again mm. through the safety of fiction. Mm. So I definitely hope that I did it with sensitivity, but it was really I wanted to explore what that would be like for someone, you know, and the fact that it is under our noses more so than we think. Yes, gosh, yes. I think you. The book does make you pause and reflect on the state of of what's going on. It was just, mm. uh, yes, very interesting as well as being a, a good read. If the two can can occur at the same time, can we just talk about your publication journey? Because you've mentioned these very interesting courses that you did yeah. as, as the writing process, um, and certainly I always thought that the hardest bit was writing the book. But how? 
was that the hardest bit or and how did you go about actually getting an agent um as I say I did it through the courses I think what really helped me especially with all the things that were going on in my personal life at the time was having those deadlines yeah so it was about turning up to the desk um I think if I'd just been working under my own steam it would have probably fell by the wayside and still wouldn't be a finished book but having those deadlines, also having the support of my tutor, but having constructive criticism from fellow students, you know, they would read it and they would give you feedback and they were so supportive that it spurred you on thinking, I can maybe actually write, you know, this, this might be able to be a book someday and, you know, it's keeping me sane, so let's keep going. Um, and then eventually... I did have a first draft at the end of those three courses um, and Tom, my tutor, as I mentioned, he very kindly read the whole manuscript, gave a little bit of feedback, um, which I took on board and made the changes. And then one day I was actually on holiday, sitting on a balcony, looking out to sea, and I thought, right, what I really, really want to do is to have a professional tell me that I can write. Even if I just get a sniff from an agent and they don't offer me representation, that would be the dream, that someone saw something in my writing and I can have that, you know. Mm. Um, so I got up the guts to send it off to, to four agents. Um, and I was so nervous, you know. Every mm. time the email pings, you're like, yeah. oh, someone get back to me. And, <laughs> you know, you stop dead every time it pings and it's usually like Asda, you know, George yeah. Asda delivery or something, you know. <laughs> But um, no, I was actually standing in the middle of the supermarket in the fruit and veg aisle and my phone went and it was Ollie Munson within oh, three days of sending out the, the manuscript. Well, the, the first, I think it was the first three chapters that I sent yeah. to the board agent um, and a covering letter. And he, um, he phoned me while I was in the fruit and veg aisle <laughs> um, and he says, I'm Ollie Munson at AM Heath and I would like you to send through the full MS. And oh my goodness, just, it was unbelievable that phone call, you know, talk yeah. about dancing beside the bananas and the watermelon, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was very surreal, very exciting, um, trying to keep a lid on it, thinking this might not go anywhere. Mm. But um, yeah, um, thankfully he felt I had the tool in my kind of uh, box I think to be a mm. crime writer and showed an interest and I think within two weeks he'd phoned me back saying that he wanted to offer me representation so it was fantastic I was one of the lucky ones you know just to to send out to four people and get that call was just it was amazing it really was but that's, um, I think that's also a, re a reflection on the quality of your writing so um, it, it's not about luck it, it's um, you know, it was well deserved, and uh, yeah, very good. And you've you also won um, the Bloody Scotland Crime Debut of the Year 2020. Now, for listeners who don't know, I'm not swearing. That's actually <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a very specific crime festival. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you won that as well. I mean, that that's incredible. Well done. That was just that was just amazing. I think it was very very apparent from my acceptance speech that it was unexpected to say <laughs> the least. Um, of course with this the COVID and everything everything was online so we were all sitting in our own kitchens you know waiting on the results. No. Um, there was me and three others uh, debuts fantastic writers you know who I've became friendly with through the process of um being nominated and that they're just absolutely lovely so we were all sitting in our own houses waiting on this announcement and I was convinced 
you know, that it was not going to be me, so yeah. much so that I'd went away and arranged an hour and a half journey in a car straight after the ceremony. <laughs> um, did not have my mobile phone charged because there was no way it was going to be me. And of course, when they just said my name, just couldn't believe it. And I think what made it really special for me is that I had actually attended Bloody Scotland over the years as a reader. Oh, um, and I used to sit at this, fest this festival thinking, oh my goodness, to, to one day have a mm. book out there and imagine if I was a mentioned at the festival in some way, somehow. To, so to win that was just, you know, it was just a dream come true. It was like, yeah. this doesn't happen to little old me, you know, and it was just amazing, the journey of being a reader at that festival to be awarded that and to see my name up there. It was just amazing. Absolutely brilliant. Well, that's wonderful. So can the last question I'm going to ask, which I'm sure you're predicting I'm going to ask it, what's next? <gasps> what's next? Well, I have just about two weeks ago signed a new contract, oh. which was just um, announced on Twitter yesterday and in the bookseller which is another dream to see your name mentioned in the bookseller. Oh. Um, but yeah, I'm away to start book three of the D.I. Eve Hunter series. And I've also right. um, been contracted to write a standalone thriller, also um, based in Aberdeen that I'd pitched and that they've snapped up. So I'm over the moon. Well, you better get writing then. Yes, big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no time. Busy girl. Yes. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I mean, Deborah, thank you for your time. It's great to hear um, more about the book and about sort of the, the history of, of the process and, and how you went through and getting published and uh, just wish you every success with this wonderful book, Out for Blood. Thank, thank you. you so much, Philippa. Thank you. Well, there you go. How interesting to hear all about that. And um, it's becoming clear the more authors I talk to how well, some of them have just started writing a book. There are quite a few who have taken a course um, before embarking on that. And uh, that's very, very interesting. Yes. Can you hear me typing, Googling writing course uh, immediately on, on, on the back of that? Oh, to be as successful as Deborah and as good an author. Very, very good. Anyway, let's get on to the other book. So the next one is called The Salt Path by Raina Wynne. So many of you, I'm sure, will have heard about this book or, or have even read it already. Uh, this is a, a book that I have had on my bookshelves for a while and uh, one of the book clubs that I'm in have cho has chosen this book. So that's why I've read it now. The blurb is this. Just days after Raina Wynne learned that Moth, her husband of 32 years, I'm saying this very jauntily and it's quite a serious subject. Let me let me say it a bit more seriously. Sorry. Oh, dear. This is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing today. I've had coffee. Maybe that's the problem. Ah, but once more, I have not had the chocolate biscuit. And that's when things go wrong. Anyway, let's start again. Just days after Raina Winland, that Moth, her husband of 32 years, was terminally ill, they lost their home and livelihood. With nothing left and little time, they impulsively decided to walk the 630 mile southwest coast path from Somerset to Dorset via Devon and Cornwall. Living wild and free, at the mercy of sea and sky, they discovered a new, liberating existence. But what would they find at the journey's end? Um, a, a lot of people love this book and say it's really moving um, and sort of inspirational. I admit I struggled with it. The first thing that I really struggled with is 
um, the, this awful illness that, that Moth had uh, or has started as shoulder pain. And when I started this book, it was the night before I was going for some MRI scans for shoulder pain. So let's just say, having started this book, I didn't sleep a wink that night. Um, and uh, yes, it was not good. And I, when I went for the scans, I kept expecting them to go, <gasps> oh, but they didn't and everything's fine. So that's all good now. But I, I certainly remember that night just unable to sleep thinking my goodness it's not just a frozen shoulder it's something terminal um in fact i remember about 20 years ago i had to go in for to get my wisdom teeth removed from uh, in hospital general anesthetic all of that and of course i took a book in with me and i started reading it while i was waiting to be collected for the operation lovely and the book turned out to be um, slightly dystopian. It was about a hospital that when people were being operated on, the surgeon would remove other parts of their body um, to sort of sell on or to be experimented on, all sorts of things. And uh, there was me waiting to be collected for a general anaesthetic reading this book. So I do seem to time my reading quite badly, to be fair. It's not deliberate at all. And I thought that this would be a good book to read before going to hospital for these scans. But anyway, there we go. Tralala. Um, I also, uh, I didn't get on with this book. I think was, I think it's fair to say. I'm not going to give it anything away, but I struggled to accept how they got into the situation that they found themselves in financially. And I struggled to accept what they then chose to do, considering how poorly Moth was. Um, and I just thought, well, I don't I couldn't I couldn't see the sunshine in the story because I was so focused on the sort of the stones in the road. Um, so there we go. I yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it. I'm really sorry. It's beautifully written. If you, if you like the sound of the blurb that I've read, you will probably love it. It's just me being awkward, Alice. But um, yeah, it, it wasn't for me. I. I enjoyed the story. Um, I mean, it's it's non-fiction, but I enjoyed the way it was written um, and uh, the chapters and, and sort of what their prognosis on the walk of, of their relationship and their view on life. Um, but as I say, it was the initial situation that led up to all of this and then actually what they chose to do considering that there might I always think there were, there were other options available but that's me so it's not a bad book I, it just it just invoked in me a feeling of anger well that's a bit strong I just I, I was just unhappy with it so there we go ever so sorry but it's a great book in terms of being well written yeah I've just said I didn't like it then I said it's a great book but I I hope you know what I mean there is nothing wrong with the writing and the story it just made me feel a particular way that it doesn't seem to have made anybody else feel whatsoever so I'm really looking forward to talking about that at book club and uh, presumably I'll be the only one that that thought that so there we go the next book I want to talk to you about is called Cut Short by M.W. Craven. Now, if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, you know, you will know I'm a huge M.W. Craven fan. The Washington Poe and Tilly crime books are absolutely sensational. Um, if you haven't read them, then I would suggest you really do. And I wouldn't start at Cut Short. Cut Short are um, uh, some short stories uh, about 
Tilly and Poe. Um, they've got some crimes in to be solved, um, but they are not detailed enough, I think, if you haven't stepped into their world before. But for those that have, they are sweet treats to, to receive while we while we wait for the next book. 64 pages long. And can you believe that I could only find it available as an ebook? So I had to read this on the Kindle. I don't think there's any other author I would do that for. Um, but I didn't. And actually, I I enjoyed reading it on the Kindle. I can't believe I said that. But uh, let's let's move on from that. But yeah, 64 pages. It's a quick read, um, but it's great. And it just sort of keeps you going between Poe and Tilly books. Um, what I also liked is that sometimes short stories have no substance to them. So there might be a case to solve or a crime and it's all a bit namby-pamby. But this one, the, these cases I thought were, were really well dealt with. You still had the humour coming through and the sort of observations on the characters. Um, and it gave you a lot to think about. So, yeah, um, the, one story is called The Killing Field. Another one's called Why Don't Sheep Shrink? <laughs> which is great. Uh, Dead Man's Fingers, just uh, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, excellent read, even though it made me read on the Kindle. So there we go. Uh, the next book is called Truth uh, Be Told um, by Kia Abdullah. Now, of course, we've had Kia on the podcast recently and it was so interesting to talk to her. This is the next book in the series that deals with the same principal character, Zara. Um, and uh, and has another case. So let's read the, the blurb. Cameron Hadid feels invincible. He attends Hampton School, an elite all boys boarding school in London. He comes from a wealthy family and he has a place at Oxford next year. The world is at his feet. And then a night of revelry leads to a drunken encounter and he must ask himself a horrific question. With the help of assault counsellor Zara Khalil, Cameron reports the incident in the hopes that will be the end of it but it's only the beginning. Um, I love legal dramas, as we know. I really enjoy Kia's books because they are legal dramas, but but different, fresh writing. Um, I enjoyed this second one. I look forward to the next one. In fact, Kia did mention this book in, uh, in the recent interview. So if you enjoyed her first book, um, then I think you would like Truth Be Told. It's... Um, it's a good book. Yeah. I don't know what else what else to say about that. If you enjoyed the first one, read the second one. And uh, I certainly did. I read the book for this one instead of listening to the audiobook. And I do like the actors she has in her audiobooks. They're very capably done. Um, so when she brings out her next one, I may just listen to the audiobook for that one because it's it's so such a good quality. Uh, so what I'm waffling on about to say in conclusion is you could read Truth Be Told or you could listen to it, and I think you would be pleased with either option. So there we go. That's Truth Be Told by Kia Abdullah. And then we come on to this, uh, this final book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do by Amy Morin. Um, it's take back your power, embrace change, face your fears, and train your brain for happiness and success. Um, it's, it's an interesting book. Um, and it obviously it breaks down all these different elements that mentally strong people don't do. So it, it sort of 
it just helps you see perhaps where you're going wrong. And some people have said, well, it's a bit simplistic. It's a bit obvious some of the points that she makes and possibly so. But it doesn't do any harm to have a reminder. So it's not something that I personally think you're going to say, oh, my goodness, I had never considered this before and this has changed my life. But I do think it will just give you some pause for reflection and whether there's one thing that you can learn from it or whether all 13 uh, issues uh, apply. Yes, heaven, heaven help you. I do think it's it's a decent book um, and it's one I haven't given away uh, or passed on to anyone. I am holding on to that, but I... I don't know. It's not one I'm going to be constantly reading, but it, it was a helpful one. It it wasn't terrible. It was it was quite good, actually. So um, if the sound of it um, sounds something that uh, that you'd be interested in, um, then then have a go. Do you know, I think next week I'm going to have to promise you that I have a chocolate biscuit before I record this podcast. I think that would be much better. But I'm aware of how much time I've been waffling on. And uh, I think I should let you get on your way. So we've had some brilliant books today. And Joe, thank you for your question. That was great to think about what books I've had on my bookshelf for a while, but I still really want to read. It was absolutely super to talk to Deborah and hear all about the, the background for her book. And I think we've We've covered some very interesting books today um, and I will leave you there. I have got, <laughs> you wouldn't think that I would say this and it's true, I've got some amazing books to talk to you about next week and really good um, author to interview. So uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. So look after yourselves and I'll talk to you again very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 